Today's Your Stories is brought to you by Iron Galaxy. Scream like a school kid with Capsule Force, an intergalactic retro anime multiplayer game now available on PS4 and Steam. See CapsuleForce.com for more info. Thanks, Iron Galaxy! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, Comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, my name is Eric Garneau, and this is part one of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast featuring the theme, I Thought I Knew. Our special guest for the evening, Chicago storyteller and great dude Scott Whitehair, chose the theme and co-curated the night, and he brought along a handful of really excellent speakers, kind of new to the storytelling scene. Uh, you'll get Eunice Jarrett and Martita Rodriguez in this episode, uh, as well as Andrew Bentley, Brian Willie, and Katie Johnston-Smith, plus music from myself, Dwight Hassler, and Claire Friedman, and some special guests. Uh, so this is our first live episode of Your Story since our Patreon campaign launched a couple weeks ago. Thank you so much to everyone who's contributed so far. You are all very wonderful people. Uh, if you want to help us make more cool stuff like the, this podcast you're listening to, you can go to patreon.com slash nerdalogs and donate really any amount of money to us. Uh, it comes out on a monthly basis. Uh, there are cool rewards involved for you. Starts at $2, goes up to 100 a month if you're, man, if you're really uh, into us. Uh, at a certain level of reward, me, Dwight, and Claire will even record a song of your choosing for you. That gives you a lot of power, guys. Uh, so there are a bunch of great Nerdalogs projects coming down the pipeline that you can keep up with at Nerdalogs.com and our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Nerdalogs. Uh, in a couple weeks, you'll hear about our upcoming musical, Attend the Tale of Danny Tanner, a horrific take on the world of Full House. That is really, uh, really great. Katie Johnson-Smith co-wrote it. I am music directing it this time around. It's going to be really cool. Uh, also, don't forget about All Our Sweet Podcasts, which are a part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op, an incredibly wonderful thing spearheaded by Cards Against Humanity to help indie producers like ourselves do the things we do. Uh, like you already heard, today's sponsor is Iron Galaxy, a video game studio that makes really sweet stuff you should definitely check out. Uh, for more information on the Chicago Podcast Co-op, go to chicagopodcastcoop.com. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Uh, okay, that's all the plugs I've got for you guys today, so please enjoy the show. Uh, so Dwight uh, kind of picked the direction the music would go tonight. These are songs that have been kind of famously misinterpreted lyrically. Or not misinterpreted, but rather just misheard. Starting with, 
I know a lot of these, I'm going to be real, guys. I don't mean to brag, but I feel like I've always understood these words, so. <laughs> yeah. And I don't mean to brag, but I feel like I've gotten them wrong even after reading them a lot. <laughs> so we're kind of at two different places right now in our musical journeys. But uh, that's all right. So this is a song. We're, we're going very 80s tonight with one exception. But we're going to have some guests later who change that up. But this is a song by Madonna. This is called Like a Virgin. Next song, this is, I actually agree with this. I, like Claire said, I'm reading these lyrics and I still don't understand them. I but feel that's like, alright. I feel like after singing through this one a few times, I get a little bit more. Yeah, I, there's actually like a story to this song. Yeah, I, I, I never really picked up on it. <laughs> I mean, I don't, maybe Listen not. To it. Listen yeah, to it. Yeah, okay. It's about ISIS. So this is a song about ISIS by The Clash. <laughs> Man. He 
One thing away from the show is that Clash warned us. The Clash warned us all about the dangers of ISIS back in like 1982. Yeah, <laughs> on their most commercially successful but least critically successful album. And Isn't that uh, interesting. I think we also learned that um, Footloose is just about the Taliban. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Claire. All right, bye, Claire. Anyway, guys, we've got a five, no, ten great storytellers tonight that are going to uh, share what they uh, think of when they hear the theme, I Thought I Knew. And starting first as a veteran of this show, former member of the Nerdalogs, uh, working with us again on a musical we're doing uh, based on the show Full House. I'll tell you about that a little later. This is Andrew Bentley. Hey, Andrew! 
I'm ten years old, riding the bus to fifth grade, and my friend Mandy is reluctant to confide in me the identity of her current crush. Do you promise not to tell anyone? She asks. I swear to God, I reply. She whispers to me his name, Carl Dizak, and immediately I spin around and proclaim the mystery man's identity to all of our friends. But Andrew, she protests, you swore to God. Ah, but Mandy, I reply, sweeping wide my resplendent cape. I am an atheist, and therefore do not believe in God. <laughs> Ruefully, Mandy nods her head in appreciation of my cunning ruse as I soar into the sky, leaving only a thin, vaporous contrail of douche to mark the passing of a modern-day folk hero. <laughs> My religious journey has been a long and meandering one. My sister and I were raised Protestant, but our personal protests were less against the diet of spare and more against the idea of getting up early on Sundays. So by the time I was seven, my mom gave up and declared that if we hated church so much, we just wouldn't go anymore. It's possible that this was intended as a test of our faith. If it was, we failed miserably. <laughs> my sister had felt unwelcome at our Sunday school ever since the teacher informed her her lack of baptism meant she would be going to hell. I mostly felt constrained by the unreasonable coloring regulations, like don't turn baby Jesus into a robot and why have you drawn a dragon, Andrew? This was not the assignment. <laughs> If they'd been a little more upfront about how many cool monsters there were in the book of Revelations, I'd probably be a priest today. <laughs> Instead, by age eight, I was informing friends' parents that I was Jewish, as to the best of my knowledge that entailed believing in God, but not in the divinity of Christ, and no other significant criteria. <laughs> When I was nine, my fourth grade teacher declined to throw us a Halloween party on religious grounds, once again making the tragic mistake of framing God as an exclusive dichotomy with rad monsters. So, by fifth grade, I decided I was an atheist, a choice which was only reinforced by my dad's own atheism, which he opted to disclose during the movie Contact, immediately after fundamentalist Jake Busey suicide bombs Tom Skerritt's space shuttle. My dad is an aerospace engineer, and I strongly suspect that back in the 60s, some poor reverend made the mistake of drawing a line between Jesus and Flash Gordon, thereby damning yet another nerdy soul to the fires of perdition. <laughs> I continued happily and to varying degrees obnoxiously as an atheist until my junior year in college, when I met several atheists even more obnoxious than I was and promptly clarified myself as an agnostic. <laughs> Thus, the winding path of my spirituality came to an end, not at any particular destination, but with the figurative equivalent of stretching out and falling asleep in a sunny patch of grass. <laughs> It seems to me a lovely philosophy, agnosticism. Agnostic, not knowing. That suits me fine. Over the years, I've extended it to areas of my life outside theology. I am, for instance, pop culture agnostic, a liberating schema which allows me to blaze through my Facebook newsfeed with unfettered abandon, even if it does occasionally result in me attempting to rec recommend an ultra-obscure deep an ultra-obscure, deep-cut-like Sia's electric heart to a perplexed friend. Have you heard of it? I found it on a message board somewhere. It's pretty catchy. <laughs> I'm cooking agnostic as well. I'm actually tempted to term myself cooking shamanistic. After all, I have my totems and rituals and enough anecdotal data to discourage much departure from the wisdom of my forefathers, particularly when it comes to my forefathers' jambalaya. But my father prefers Gmail as a means of communication rather than liminal trance, so let's say agnostic. I sort of know how to cook, but only in the same way I know how to have sex with an alien. I can, I can do some stuff. I'm certainly cooking, but maybe not in the way an expert would prescribe. If a professional chef observed my chopping technique, her reaction would probably not be dissimilar from a frustrated centurion gal watching me do my best to jam my terrified genitals into her bioluminescent cloaca. 
I'm Super Smash Brothers agnostic. I, I know what, don't know what any of these buttons do, but I'm going to press the ones that feel right, and we'll all see how it works out in the end. Spoilers, Donkey Kong falls off the spaceship again. <laughs> there are those who see the agnostic as an apathetic or coward, but I prefer to regard it as a statement of humility. I'm of a race and gender demographic whose chief sin lies in knowing, that is, the assumption, presumption, or pretension of knowing best. Some would say it's actually all the oppression and genocide, but I think we can agree that that's water under the bridge. <laughs> Specifically, the bridge we pushed all the witches off of. You're welcome. <laughs> but seriously, that's the crux of it right there. There are some things you can make broad declarations about and feel reasonably sure history will bear you out. There are others, say the buoyancy of witches or the integral nature of existence, where you might want to leave some wiggle room. I have opinions, I have guesses, I know what happens if you undercook chicken, but no one can be an expert in everything. So for the religious, when I say I'm an agnostic atheist, I'm not saying you were wrong. I mean, I think you're wrong, but I also thought Lost was really going to stick the ending, so, you know, <laughs> fuck me. The only thing I'm saying is I'm not qualified to comment. And that's it. Really. I swear to God. Thank you. <laughs> All right. If you're keeping records of your story's history facts at home, that was the first time the word cloaca has been said on this stage. Thank you, Andrew, for broaching that five years in. We very much appreciate it. Guys, as I mentioned at the top, we partnered tonight with uh, our friend Scott Whitehair, who is doing a lot of amazing storytelling work in Chicago, and he brought some kind of newer faces to our show tonight to share their stories. Coming up first uh, is a woman I just learned is from Hammond, Indiana, which is, I used to live in Munster, so, so, so close for a long time. Eunice Jarrett, everybody. All right, hi. I'm 63, and no, I'm not here to talk about reverse mortgages. <laughs> I'm a proud member of the Indiana Old Ladies Club. The Old Ladies Club started in 1960, and each year, the old ladies raise money to give scholarships to young people in our community. I was giving a couple of the older old ladies a ride home after the meeting. My mother was in the front seat, Mrs. Prince was in the back seat, and Mrs. Prince started singing? Wait a minute, I almost stopped my car. See, I thought I knew Mrs. Prince was not the oldest old lady. She wasn't even the old ladyest old lady. She was quiet and reserved and never called us by our first name. Well, this is her first time in my car. Radio's on, and she starts singing. Summer's here, the time is right for dancing in the street. Shut up. <laughs> no, I didn't tell her to shut up, but that's when I realized those old ladies like me weren't always old. You know, and it's not really called the old ladies club. I just call it that because when I joined at age 55, I was the youngest one there. And to tell the truth, I could have joined sooner, but I kind of waited for some of those old ladies to die off. <laughs> Well, Mrs. Prince is my real friend now. I mean, they still talk about the day that we became Martha and the Vandella. <laughs> yes, just one Vandella, don't hate. <laughs> it was time to raise money for the scholarships, and that usually meant a luncheon with prayers, history, food, and a speaker. Well, the speakers were getting kind of boring. 
And then I remembered Mrs. Prince singing in the car. So I said, ladies, let's keep the prayers, the history, the food, but no speaker. Remember when you used to do talent shows? They said, yes, let's do it. So the suggestions started. Oh, the children's praise dancers, they would love to perform. That's pretty good. Another lady said, my daughter will dress up like Etta James and she's going to sing at last. I looked at Mrs. Prince and I said, hey, let's be Martha and the Vandellas. She dipped her chin and shook her head, but she was smiling. Now, my mother, 90-year-old church lady, woman of God, said, I think I would like to sing a song about the weather. Well, I thought I knew all my mother's songs, and there were no church songs about the weather. So I said, Mama, how does this go? She slipped the jacket off of her shoulder, and she said, Stormy weather since my man and I ain't together. She starts strutting across the room. Seems it's raining all the time. The girl starts saying, sang, mother. The blues went away. The blues came to get me. If he stays away, that old rocking chair will get me. My little mother was hilarious. (laughs) The next day, Mrs. Prince said, we can't let your mother show us up. Why don't we lip sync it? Mrs. Prince, what do you know about lip sync? Well, we got on it. We were old ladies using technology. (laughs) We got our lyrics from lyrics.com. We got our music from YouTube. Oh, wait a minute. We had accessories. We got big wigs from the um, wig store. We had beads and bangles from the dollar store. We had short skirts with ruffles and red shoes. Uh, We had our thing together, and then it was time. I mean, it was showtime, but you got to remember, it was lip sync. So the music started. Mrs. Prince and I danced to the front. And at our last rehearsal, I said, girl, make those ruffles jump. <laughs> and she did. I mean, all eyes were on her. She was had the microphone. She was lip syncing. Summer's here. The time is right for dancing in the street. Oh, she was doing great. But I knew how to be a good Vandella. I just stood in the back and waited for my turn. <laughs> dancing in the street. Dancing in the street. (laughs) Then I gave it back to Martha. Oh, she was so excited. She was lip syncing. She was dancing. She did the mashed potatoes. She did the funky chicken. (laughs) I don't know what that was. They said I stopped dancing and watched her too. We didn't practice that. (laughs) But we had fun. They said we were good. Now, she calls me Eunice, and I call her Joyce, except when I call her Martha. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eunice. That was wonderful. When are we going to jam out on some, uh, some soul classics together? We don't do a lot of that stuff here. We should. Come on back. 
Guys, uh, so our next speaker saw us a month ago when we did a show at Big Al Brewing, and he was like, hey, I want to come tell a story, which is the fucking coolest thing. That is so awesome, and we're so excited to have him here today. This is Brian Willie. All right. I thought I knew about insects. Three brief stories all about my horrible experiences with insects. Not incest. Insects. <laughs> Words have power. Um, so the horrible groundskeeping job that my mother, crazy mother got me. Uh, I was the only non-union college boy in the maintenance department at the Hyatt Regency. The maintenance boss tells me to go up to a remote tower and clean up the area around a garbage chute. He hands me a little dustpan and a little brush, and off I go. I was so scared when the elevator doors opened to flickering yellow fluorescent lights and huge fat flies flying in slow motion, so full that I had to avoid them. I had to bat them out of the way as I made my way down the hall toward the big metal door clutching my little dustpan and my brush. The door opened into a hellscape of rotting food and a lake of ancient rancid coffee. Fully half the room was flooded in black liquid coming from the garbage chute. There were bubbles in the black liquid, which for some reason I felt compelled to examine close up. <laughs> Not bubbles, maggots. No. <laughs> More maggots and flies than a mass grave could generate. Wall to wall maggots and fat flies. I could feel my pupils expand to the size of grapes, and my adrenaline spiked so hard I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I backed out slowly, like a man in a nightmare that he couldn't wake up from, and told the maintenance guys. They were going to need a lot more than a dustpan and a little brush to clean that up. They laughed pretty hard, since they already knew that when they sent me up there. <laughs> Story two. I was on vacation by myself in Chile, visiting my grandparents. I went out with my uncle and his friends from the Santiago Parachuting Club and met a woman, a dentist. So I figured she was a normal person, because college education plus money equaled normal to me at that stage of my life. I was very immature and naive back then. I went back with her to her apartment downtown. We get to the plaza in front of her massive high-rise condo building, and there are two carabineros standing there, Chilean state cops. They all carry submachine guns, and these guys were no exception. I saw they were standing over a tarp, and like an idiot, I pulled out my best Spanish and drunkenly asked, hey guys, what you got there? <laughs> they stared at me for a heartbeat, then one smiled a small, cruel smile and moved the edge of the tarp with his boot, exposing a human hand and a spreading puddle of blood. My new friend grabbed my arm and told me not to talk to them, ever, and to just forget about it. So I did, mostly. Up in her place, she had a room that she had kept as a temple or a shrine to her ex-fiancé, full of pictures and wedding clothes and wedding stuff. She'd been left at the altar and obviously never moved on and was probably mentally damaged. But I stayed anyhow because I was drunk and not really caring about the brain part of her anatomy. <laughs> In the early morning hours, I woke up confused as to where I was with a crushing headache and massively thirsty. I woke her a little and asked if she wanted water too. And she just said, be careful of the bugs, which made no sense to me, and I figured she was dream talking. I heard a weird noise as I approached the kitchen in this very clean-looking condo, but I paid no mind. The light was on a hanging string switch in the middle of the kitchen, and when I turned it on, I saw that I was completely surrounded by thousands of cockroaches. On the floor, around my feet, in the sink on the counters, even coming out of the cabinets, actually moving the doors of the cabinets as they spilled out onto the counters. Chock full of cockroaches, big cockroaches, small cockroaches. It was unreal. I nearly went into shock. Got the hell out of the kitchen 
And it was like a movie or a TV show where you see people really drunk one minute, and then they're sober and able to defuse a bomb or do surgery a minute later. <laughs> I was focused. I got dressed, and I left. The cops and the body were gone. My early morning walk jog back to my grandparents' apartment in defiance of the military curfew, avoiding Army Jeep patrols, and the weirdo who appeared out of the dark and talked at me until I told him to get lost or we were going to have a problem took a lifetime. It was a good reminder of how easy it is to get killed while in a foreign city, ruled by a vicious dictator. Being young and drunk and American does not exempt you. Story three. I had a job that involved travel to exciting and exotic locations like Cleveland and Detroit. <laughs> I was gone for most of a week once on a project, and when I came back, all I wanted to do was take off my suit and crash on my bed for a couple days. I walked in the door and greeted my roommate, who was busily chain-smoking cool cigarettes, eating powdered donuts, and playing Zelda, the Ocarina of Time. <laughs> I opened the door to my room, and the shock I experienced was so great that I still have nightmares about it to this day. My room was completely filled with insects. They looked like flying ants, uh, termites maybe. They were flying around and crawling everywhere. At the time, all I had was a guest cot to sleep in and no furniture, so all my clothes, my towels, everything was just sitting out in stacks. There were flying ants all over them. I shut the door quickly and I stepped away. Rumi must have felt my shock from the couch because he asked me what was up. I explained about the plague of insects in my room. He was concerned, but also didn't want to stop playing Zelda. <laughs> so he told me there was a bug bomb in the junk drawer of the kitchen that I could use. I grabbed the bomb, which looked more like a grenade, and which I expected would work like a grenade. Unfortunately, you can't just pull a pen and throw it into the room. It doesn't work like that, or at least this one didn't. I had to go into the room, set it in the middle on the ground, and activate it. By the time I was ready to activate it, I had ants in my hair crawling on my body, and I did something wrong. The bomb went off, nailed me right in the face, uh, started to panic a little bit. Uh, but I got out. I got the ants off in the bathroom, and I waited for the bug bomb to do its magic. The next day, I took a look inside, and everything was dead. I would need to do a massive cleanup that night and launder every sheet, towel, and piece of clothes I had, but the bugs were dead. I went downstairs and walked out the door into a beautiful sunny day, and my downstairs neighbor was out front working on his pickup truck. He was a young guy. I was like, hey, how's it going? And I was going to tell him about my bug hell when I noticed that he looked like he might be coming down with Ebola. His eyes were red and watery, his nose was running, and he had weird splotchiness on his skin. So instead I asked him if he was sick. He said he'd felt fine until sometime early that morning when he woke up feeling horrible and with a weird taste in his mouth and a smell in his nose. He just felt worse and worse as the morning progressed. At which point I remembered that his bedroom was directly below mine, and the bug bomb had released a heavy, persistent gas that had no doubt settled down into his room. I had fought a plague of insects, and I'd won. But as in all wars, there had been collateral damage. I told me that I hoped he felt better, and I walked off quickly. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. Man, I don't know. I kind of get the vibe like just plagues of insects are like haunting you. Like They're not going to show up tonight, are they? That'd be, it's like Beetlejuice. Can't say it three times. Twice is okay. Guys, yeah, let's keep it rolling for one more new storyteller to the, star, uh, to the show. Martita Rodriguez. This, this isn't a store. This is not a store. Uh, but we do have copies of our game Fisticuffs for sale, y'all. Being a hairstylist for 20 years, I've heard pretty much every story that can be told about relationships. The most common story 
are the stories that women tell me about dating crappy men and not being able to leave them. A lot of them, uh, oh, a lot of times when I heard these stories, I would kind of smugly judge my clients because I didn't have that kind of problem. I've been fortunate enough to date decent men and uh, just couldn't understand why women would stay, and especially when they were dealing with such bad behavior. So last year, after I got divorced, my friend Soli, who was also newly singled, was like, okay, it's time to get back out there, and we should try online dating. She wanted us to online date for two reasons. One, because she was a comedian, and she believed we would get hysterical, uh, hysterical material <laughs> for her use on stage. And second, which was a big reason for me, was so I could get finally get laid. <laughs> One of the main reasons I got divorced was because even though my ex and I got along really well and had a good life together, we hadn't been intimate for six years. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't wrap my head around, it, about, around this fact until I one day was at lunch with some friends, and I found myself saying it out loud. And I thought, oh, my God, I can't believe I've been late in six years. So I decided I need to get out. I'm a passionate Latina. This just won't do. <laughs> I need to get divorced. So um, let me see. I'm sorry, guys. So okay. So after again, after being a hairstyle, I mean, being a hairstylist, um, I had heard all sorts of stories about online dating. You know, ones that you were successful, you would get married, you have babies, it was great, and other ones that were just horrible and you wind up going to jail, and it just didn't work out well. <laughs> so, regardless of that, we signed up to OkCupid. Solely went full force. Um, I, of course, take the cautious route, so I bought a book on online dating. <laughs> While she was stacking up the, com the comedic material with all her bad dates, I was trying to be very selective and weeding out what I thought were all the losers. Finally, I met this gentleman called David. David was a 34-year-old tattoo artist from Arizona who was very charming and hot as hell. <laughs> Armed with my trusty online date book, I decided to go out with David in public as the book instructed. <laughs> the date was awesome. We had chemistry. We had tons of fun. I even let him smooch me at the end of the night before parting ways. It had been such, uh, it was such, it had been such a long time since I had any action. I was like super excited driving home. Like, yes, I still got it. <laughs> For the second date, the book said to bring a date around friends. So I invited David and my best friend Brian over for dinner. We all hung out, and Brian, who grilled him like he was my father, finally gave me the thumbs up on David. That night, I allowed David to stay the night, and he put it down on me. <laughs> the, next <laughs> the next day, the world just looked colorful. Sound beautiful. <laughs> Food tasted better, life was great, I was thrilled. After two weeks of sexual bliss, I started to feel like something was off. Uh, I couldn't figure out what it was, but there was something in my gut that was just telling me something wasn't right. So after that feeling, things started to get a little wacky. David, after two weeks, told me that he loved me, which sent my spider senses into red alert mode. 
Then a woman who he claimed was his ex-baby mama sends me a message on Facebook asking me who I am and why am I dating her boyfriend. Yeah. At this point, the fact that I hadn't gotten rid of David confirmed myself, confirmed that I was myself digmatized. So, for you guys who don't know what digmatize is, it's pretty much the equivalent of being pussy whipped, except for ladies. <laughs> so, um, let's see. A month later, I'm still dating David. And at this point, I'm lying to my friends about seeing him because I didn't want them to look at me with that smug look that I would give my clients <laughs> when they were talking about bad men and their bullshit. So one morning, I get up to do, go to a hair convention, and I put $200 in my wallet that morning. And I wind up going to the convention. I didn't use the money. That night, David stayed at my place. The next morning, I look at my wallet. Poof, the money's gone. Now I'm in full force digmatized mode. So instead of accepting that he stole it and convinced myself I was careless, I convinced myself I was careless and that I had lost it. And I continued to date him one more month until I was smacked out of the digmatized haze by a phone call by his baby mama who said not only did she have cancer, but now she was pregnant. So I also had another client of mine who worked for ABC News do a background check on David, only to find, <laughs> only to find that he had been in jail, and he was a felon, he had been in jail for manslaughter, and had a rap sheet that just went on and on. I was done. I got rid of David. I had finally realized that I had thought I knew, that I thought I knew how, wait, I'm sorry, I thought I knew how to keep away the losers, but being digmatized is a hell of a drug. Thank you, Martina. Martina, everybody. First of all, those pants are amazing. I want a pair of those. I hope everyone can see those. It's like comic print, so fucking cool. Um, also, the uh, as a quasi-comedian person, I'm just going to tell you real quick this anecdote from Tinder. I haven't really told many people. This happened to me a week ago, and it's so fucking funny. So I matched with this woman, and she messaged me right away, and this is, this is what the message says. She goes, LOL, I saw you in Detroit Rock City, loser. That's all it says. I wasn't even hurt. I was like, how the fuck is this what someone chooses to do with Tinder? So we had one mutual friend. I feel a little bad about this, but I'm like, what kind of person is this? So I went to Facebook and found who she was. She manages an upscale restaurant in the Hancock building. So her job is hospitality, and this is what she does with Tinder. I thought that was pretty sweet. Anyway, so we hooked up later. No. <laughs> that part's not true. I do feel really bad for Sam Huntington, though. Like, does he have it hard, too? Like, does, do people message him, LOL, saw you in Detroit Rock City, you suck? I don't know. That movie's all right. Anyway. Kiss shirt. Our next speaker might kind of have connections with Martita, which is interesting, totally unplanned, but let's hear what Katie Johnson-Smith of the Nerdalog has to say. <laughs> I'm also divorced, so cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I used to think that I could live this, like, perfect life if I just stuck to my plan and didn't fuck up. Then I really fucked up. I cheated on my ex-husband with somebody else's husband, and that was a really shitty thing to do to somebody. But that's not who I am as a person, and that mistake doesn't define me. 
For a little while, I couldn't get away from the people who defined and still define me by that mistake that I made. And I wish that I knew that I wouldn't care about what those people think forever. And I'm glad that I don't care about what those people think now. But sometimes I still think when I meet a new person that I'm betraying them by being myself because that shit person must still be inside of me, right? And who could actually like somebody that isn't perfect? Um, and Jenny Lewis wrote this really beautiful song called Acid Tongue that um, the first time, like I heard it a million times, the first time I heard her sing it live, um, I really, really resonated with it because that's how I feel any time I meet somebody who doesn't know about my past and doesn't know that I, I have the capacity to fuck up. Um, and so I would like to sing that song for you now. Uh, can we also get Dwight and Claire and Becca Brown up here? This is a, we need a lot of people for this song. I'm going to look at the lyrics because I'm really afraid that I'm going to fuck those up Please. too. <laughs> yeah. It's a great song. took one look in my face and said I can fix that hole in you. I beg your pardon, I'm not looking for a cure. I've seen enough of my friends in the depths that God
Your Stories is a proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you enjoy Your Stories, you might also like Team GFB Radio. Dave Lang and Daryl Wisner share tales from the front lines of game development and talk current events in the games industry. You can learn more at TeamGFBRadio.com. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit Patreon.com slash Nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.